Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. to episode two of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a weekly podcast where we discuss every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time in thrilling chronological order. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And this week on our second episode, we're going to be talking about season one, episode two, The Harvest. Spooky. Yeah, I was just proud of myself for remembering the name because my copy is from last episode. <laughs> you did a great job. So Okay, uh, so same deal as last episode. We're going to talk about the show for as long as it takes for us to air most of our feelings. Uh And then at the end of this episode, you can hear uh, my weekly recap song uh, recounting the most important events of today's episode. Yeah. We can't wait for that. Me neither. I'd like to say for the record that I've been um, asked to be an official part of the songwriting process. So like, you know, down the line. Our song. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, down the line when you're like rolling in all that sweet cash. Yeah. I see. I see a, a hefty revenue stream opening up. You joke, but I guess one never knows. But let it be known here now and forever and always. You are the Kathleen Brennan to my Tom Waits. Oh, that's so nice. All of my decent ideas are made much, much better by your contributions and careful editing and thoughtful suggestions. Thank you. And you are welcome. Well, we're not here to talk about our creative <laughs> collaboration. Oh, well, I guess we kind of are. I guess this is. We're here to talk about vampires. Okay, 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 okay. Vampires. Vampires. Yes. I have, I, as usual, I have a lot to say. About I'm so excited this episode, but I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you to start because I feel like you took some notes. I took some notes too. We take notes; it's what we do. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking way less notes than I did the very first time we watched, and you're probably taking more notes than well, the first time. I think time I we stayed about consistent, but yeah, Jenny, what did you take? Seventeen pages of notes on the first. Listen, it's not important. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> We've learned our ways. We're already season one, episode two. Yeah. Deep into the thick of things here. Deep into the thick. So what did you think? What did you think of The Harvest? Um, Man, it really made me remember that season two or that season one is season one, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> my, <laughs> my first note was, hmm, Buffy sure does learn how to run and kick better as the series goes on. Yeah, that was one of my notes, too. Running through the graveyard right at the opening of the episode, she looks... She hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah. She it's a new graveyard. New graveyard. She is wearing complicated shoes. Yeah, maybe wedges, that's part of probably. It. Wedges or he- like chunky heels, maybe. Ch- I think uh, we see them later in the episode. A chunky heel is a wedge. Is that no, the same thing? No, because a chunky heel is like a thick... Heel. 
That's... But there's still separation between the heel and the. Does it have to be together? I'm not a shoe doctor, but I feel like a wedge is a shoe that has a one complete piece. All right. Well, we have our first question for our listeners. Yeah. If you have any feedback, if you have any, we answers, would like to know if, shoe if, doctors. if a wedge has to be not a separate chunky heel or if a wedge can be its own heel. Right. Yes. Great. That's today's first big mystery. First big, first big question. But yeah, um, you know, Buffy's learning her way uh, as is Sarah Michelle Geller about like running Ooh, and, and like holding her fists and looking like she knows what she's doing right. while she does that. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Although points for breaking off that pine branch. Mm-hmm. Uh, improvisation. Yeah. Resourcefulness. She's very resourceful. Super effective. Or resourceful, as my wife says. I... <laughs> You do. You say resourceful, not resourceful. Is that wrong? No. They're both right, right? Yes. We're agree both right. to agree. Um, I, not intentionally, but there were some gay notes that I took Ooh, this time. Gay ones. My next note is a gay note um, because the first um, time that we see Jesse mm. is down in the wherever you call that thing. What do you call that thing where they are? In the crypt? In the Hellmouth? Uh, <laughs> Wait, could you be more specific? Where they are, down underneath the ground. Oh. It, like when they go through the crypt, the mausoleum to get to the place where the master is, is that the. Oh, right. Yeah. What is. We don't really know. Like, it's I don't the think entrance it's named, to the Hellmouth or something. Uh, well, I think. I think at this point, a Hellmouth is not open. Like, the Hellmouth is sort of like the whole town. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. And he, uh, the master, was trying to open the Hellmouth, right? And he got trapped because he like did a spell wrong do you something. know what looks the most like a hell mouse to me so far what his mouth <laughs> it is a hell i mouth. can't wait i don't know what happens with the master if he's gone if he comes i can't stand to look at his mouth that grape juice mouth oh god it's horrible it's but so- what i wanted to talk about was um and this is now I, that I've seen the whole episode it's the first of many moments uh of gay luke but Luke so sensually grabs Jesse's neck. It's just so sensual. And I thought, oh, he, well, first I thought he's a gay vampire. And then I thought maybe vampires are all bisexual. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you'd know better than me because I think you've read a little bit more Anne Rice than me. But I feel like in her mythology, uh, feeding sort of takes the place of of sex, sexual activity. I actually don't remember that coming from Anne Rice, but I did read a lot of Anne Rice as a kid, so maybe I absorbed that, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I definitely, I mean, definitely feeding is sexual and they feed off of whomever. Yeah, and, like, just flashing forward because, like, whoever the pairing is uh, for this episode's sexual attention award, one half, one end of it is going to be Luke. And it's either Luke and Jesse or Luke and the master because yikes when I, it's vessel time yeah yeah i have notes on oh, that oh did you did you write down their dot di- well okay i we'll did get, we'll i get did to that i did write down their dialogue but i'm going to just like per, uh before we get to actually sorting the evidence of mm. who has the most sexual tension i am awarding it to luke and jesse hmm. because i refuse to have to think more <laughs> About the master. About the rest of it. Yeah, I can't. His mouth is just, it's just so, I can't. I can't. 
it's, it's, there's just very few things that have upset me more than looking yeah. at his mouth. It is a bummer. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar looking especially 12 years old. Yeah. As you pointed out in this episode. Cherubic. Woo. Cherubic. Um, there's a moment, so not to jump around too much, because we will get back to the gay stuff. I have more gay questions, but... Um, wait. Is every episode of the show going to be you finding the gay? I mean, I didn't do it on purpose. It found you. Yes. Okay. So no, like I'm not going to intentionally find the gay, but like based on my career choices to date, I will likely see more gay mm. than the average Joe. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to say is this is not a gay thing, but after we come out of um, the scene with Luke where they're like, uh, the scene with Jesse and Luke where they're like, you're a bait. Well, then we come back to the library, which was a nice cut editor. You did a great job with that cut. I thought it was really solid. Um, but like Willow is at a computer in the library and first Buffy was leaning over her so closely. <laughs> and I was like, this is really awkward. Maybe I'll make a note of it. And then I didn't. And then like, Two seconds later, Giles is leaning over her. So um, I'm going to, like, on our socials, mm. I'm putting this up. Like, I'm putting this side by side. <laughs> a gift. You're going to make a gift set? I'm going to make a gift set of Willow just being, like, really too close to everyone and not seeming <laughs> to mind. It's like, I feel like because computers were new, like, mm. directors didn't know how to stage, like, two people looking at a computer. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, And also they thought maybe everybody's focus would be on the computer and not on, like, the lack of respect for personal space. Yeah, but you can't even see, in the shots, you can't even see the computer. Mm. It's just, I'm excited about the gifts, is all I'm going to yeah. say. <laughs> That's really <laughs> Me too. something. Um, I feel like there are, like, a lot of important sort of uh, touchstone precedents uh, getting set mm -hmm. in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we see a very meaningful look pass between Giles and Buffy when he's like, do I need you, do I need to tell you to be careful? And she like just looks at him. Yeah. And then she leaves. And I feel like we're about to see that look about 7,000 more times. Aww. Also, I feel like uh, there's this <laughs> amazing very fast zoom in on Giles. He's just surrounded by books. Uh -huh. And then zoom, and he looks up. Uh, and I, yeah, 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 yeah. And he did a lot of like taking his glasses off, putting his glasses back on, mm -hmm. you know, like following his sort of like thought pattern. So there were, there were a few very dramatic like <laughs> moments like that with both um, Giles and the master. The master oh, has a really boy. good dramatic moment that I didn't write down what he says when he turns around, but it's like the music swells, <laughs> the camera zooms in, he turns around, he delivers one line. He says a slayer. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> Which is hilarious because his last line in the previous scene that was in the vampire cave, mm -hmm. that's what I'm calling it, mm -hmm. uh, was a slayer. <laughs> and then they come back to the cave. Oh, I wonder how many again. times he says a slayer in total. Maybe we could do a mashup of that. Yeah. yeah Can you tell yeah. I'm social media minded? Yeah, you and are. Like, great, raring. great content. Content. At the bit. Another thing that I feel like really starts to take shape in this episode that we're going to see a lot more of is Xander being the fucking worst. Yeah. Oh, my God. I did not mind. I, like, enjoyed Xander watching uh -huh. this show when I was younger. But, like, oh, my God. Just... Has there ever been a more clear embodiment of 
a dude okay. just being like, oh, things aren't just the way I want them. Oh, I'm going to kick a filing cabinet. Okay. Well, no, I think, no, no I mean, not listen, on I'm always on board to be like, women rule, men drool. But um, also, if you can't tell, I'm really good at insults. That was good. Um, but I don't, I mean, yes, Xander is like, Buffy couldn't possibly do this on her own. I will help. And like, but I'm so angry. And can't be told, can't be told anything. But it is, but, uh, but it's cut with something. Like, it's not just that. It's not like, I, I didn't, it didn't make me angry. I didn't feel angry about Xander. And it's very easy for men to make me angry. So I feel like. Maybe I'm just, I've got. I think you're on fire today. You've been a little bit. It's been your, a weird couple of days. Your, your, your yeah, I'm on high been, alert. Yeah. So high I think, alert. Because I think that the bigger thing that reads to me with Xander is that he just is like puppy dog eyes for Buffy. And like it feels on this episode, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I will get all into it if it doesn't feel like this to me. But this episode very much felt to me that Xander was like, I, but I love her, you know, mm. like, what if something happens? Like, it didn't feel very, like, mansplainy to me. Okay. I mean, I will get there with you. Yeah, yeah. But Plenty I, of time with Xander. Yeah. Um, Sorry for getting ahead of myself. No, no. I think it's a good conversation to have. And um, you were talking about, like, important things that happen in this episode. My next note is, in all caps, remember when Angel said his name, dark and mysterious, Man revealed. That's what I wrote. That's what I wrote. <laughs> well said. God, I just love that. My favorite thing about season one might be that we see Angel in a way that like we don't ever see him really again. He's like dark and sarcastic and like mysterious. And like there are like 17 things happening on his face at one time. And I don't even think he's doing it on purpose. David Boranis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's I just like there's like brooding. And, like, care and disbelief and disassociation and, uh, like, everything all at once. And you think that goes away? I mean, not no spoilers, but I don't know. I I mean, maybe it changes, but I feel like Angel to me is always those things. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe he's just peak hot. Um, I mean, yeah. Also, not to take us off track from peak hot Angel, but... I feel like every single time I watch an episode of early on Buffy, I feel as though they um, were they're all of their wardrobe is from the limited two. like <laughs> just every piece of it is. And I know it's it's just me conflating my memory of the time with the limited two. But like, you know what I mean? I Except mean, for Buffy's leather jacket. Oh, my good God. Get, please, someone give me that leather Which jacket. Which is, you please do it so that I can wear it. The you know? most beautiful thing. I, it might be the best piece of clothing that ever appears on mm -hmm. the show, that leather jacket. For, for sure. I and think it might be, too. Will we ever see it again in a subsequent episode? I don't know, because I've never really seen the first season mm. start to finish, and I don't remember being obsessed with any leather jacket. So maybe it's, <laughs> maybe something happens to it. I don't know. But oh, my next note is about Luke being gay again. Oh, please this go time on. with the master. Um, I wrote down Luke says, My blood is your blood, my soul is your soul. And the master says, My body is your instrument. Uh I just want to no. Yeah. Your wait. Uh the the master says, My blood is your blood. 
oh, I reversed it. Yeah, yeah. And Luke says, my, my body, body is, is your, your instrument. instrument. Like, get a room. My body is your instrument. Get a cave. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Um, and then I wrote, Luke is the gayest blood sucking beefcake. That was my <laughs> complete. He really nod. is. Like, I don't think we've seen how jacked he is until, uh, you know, he takes his jacket off. Uh, is that when he's doing the he's, blood and he's thing like with wearing the master this, or later? I don't like the bronze. Uh, wait, the, when he's wearing the tank. Does he get all the way down to a tank top? I don't know. Maybe I, I just, just maybe I got ahead of myself. But his muscles are so huge that you're like, what even is a t-shirt? But in the, I think in that scene, or maybe it's at the bronze, he's wearing like a chain necklace that's really tight around his <laughs> neck, which I spent a lot of time in gay bars in the 90s mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and the early 2000s. And I just want to say, like, I feel like they knew what they were doing in this episode with mm. his wardrobe because they saw a lot of that. Oh. Um, not from the limited two. No, no. I mean, maybe it was from the limited two for small girls, and he was just wearing it around his beefcake neck. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that that is a deliberate scene. It's like I wasn't sure with Jesse, but it was pretty deliberate with um with the master. I feel like the dialogue was written specifically. Okay, Romantica. Yeah. Um, my body is your instrument. <laughs> Not to hop and skip all around, but how about that sick burn when Buffy's like, do you even know what it's like to have a friend to Angel? Oh, and he's yeah. like, pregnant silence. His whole face just crumbles. It's so sad. <laughs> it's like, I feel like even though I know it's just a TV show and they're acting, like part of me feels like, <laughs> like the acting stopped in that moment and everybody was like, oh no. Does he have, do you have, David Boreanaz, do you have friends? It was really, it really, it was very believable. Yeah, yeah. I'm very Sorry. sweet. I'm very sad. I'm very sexy. Also, how shiny were her pants? Oh my God. How shiny were the pants that she chose to wear? Limited to. Limited. Vampire underground. Yeah, limited too. They were very shiny. They took me by surprise. We must have only seen her from the waist up for the for the first yeah. half of the episode. I also love how when the rat runs over her foot, she doesn't yeah, move. Yeah, I like, like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a rat on my foot. Yeah, that was pretty solid. Do you think it was because when they shot the rat running over somebody else's shoes, the person whose shoes it was forgot to move their foot, and they were like, well. And then the rat got away? Well, no. they Yeah, they were just like, well, well we, we only have this one take, so. <laughs> Maybe. Um, also, how about, I feel like it's worth noting that we see, after stupid Xander, stupid follows Buffy. Well, into the stupid Xander tunnel. hate. I, I don't know what my problem is. I'm sorry. I'm, I, this isn't me. <laughs> After Xander follows Buffy uh, and brings no tools of use and no skills to the table, and they're just walking down this long corridor forever, and I don't think we ever see anything like that ever again in the show. Like, just like with him skateboarding uh, up to the entrance of the mm. school, I feel like there's so much that happens in the two part, like the Hellmouth, Welcome to the Hellmouth, and the Harvest. That's the people making the show figuring out like how to make this show, mm -hmm. you know? So we like see them walking forever in the tunnel and Buffy's dutifully like looking at like the pipes running down the tunnel <laughs> and like touching things while Xander goes on about how he didn't bring anything with him. Right. 
Uh, Which just to, um, we'll, we'll, I won't derail you too much here, but like I think that is part of the reason why I didn't feel like it was very like Xander saying like I can do things. Like Xander was very like, I brought this flashlight. Like he definitely did not have any like sort of ideas that he was going to actually help. No, no. I think, I mean, between him being into Buffy and him like being worried about his friend. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is like the only time you will ever hear me talk somebody else out of thinking. <laughs> I don't know what's gotten into me. No, I think I, I think I am in need of your counsel in this yeah. moment. Um, but um, I didn't mean to derail you. They were walking down. Oh, Buffy no, was touching all the pipes. No, I was done. It was. It's just like this, this shot that goes on forever. That's like not very compelling. And I feel like it's something that was like conceptualized before they knew what it would look like. They planned for it. They did it, and then. It was like, oh, this isn't, like, right. as exciting. And a, a lot of their movement through the corridors, once they, like, find Jesse, and then they, like, you know, are running from the vampires, it's a lot of, it just sort of feels like, where? Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel real. It just kind of feels, like, put together. And they're not, like, running once they find Jesse. They're just walking kind of slow. Right, You right. know, and then they, they get into that room. Before they get into that room, one of the last, like, moments where they see a vampire like leering at them from around a corner it's this bananas looking like pennywise style like wild like hair, like cl almost clown clownish looking yeah uh, yeah which is like the master is very clownish i think oh Maybe that's, yeah, I wonder if that was, like... They're all a little bit more clownish than they wind up. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, the look of the vampires definitely evolves over the seasons, and especially, like, Joss talks a lot in the director's commentary um, about how they, like, did all of the vampires in vamp face for these episodes. Which is, like, like powdery, almost. Like, they're lighter, their skin is lighter than the rest of their bodies, a lot of them. Right. And they have like ridge, like their their features oh, are dramatic. Yeah. You know, they have like the forehead ridges and, and their I think their cheekbones sometimes are like a little accentuated. Uh, but he talks about how they did that because they wanted it to like look cool and vampy. And then it like took so long every time mm. they needed to do a scene with anybody in vamp face that they were like, let's just have the vampires be in human face unless there's like a really good reason right. for them to be in vamp face right, in a given right, scene. Right. Oh yeah, that's true. I guess there is a lot more vamp face than than we see than we see later on. Mm -hmm. I didn't really make that connection. Um, I would like to take a moment uh, to say that I believe that this episode is the first time that we meet. Uh, do we even learn her name? Oh, Harmony. Harmony. Yeah, I can't remember if she was in the first episode or not because she's definitely a Cordelia Cordelia crony from like. Yeah, maybe I just didn't. Get excited the first time. I don't know why, because I love Maybe. harmony. I love harmony. Yeah, you probably would have gotten excited. Okay. Probably. Not that I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I listen back to episode it, one. Just so, so uh, just so you all know, listening to this, um, we'll be doing these episodes closer together than the first and the second because <laughs> there, yeah. there has been we we did the first episode and then I think a month at least passed. Significantly more than a month. Significantly more than a month passed. We don't okay. need to talk about how long it was, but there was a lot of travel, a lot of sorting stuff out. But yeah. now we are back on track. Back on track. But that's why I think we typically can't I would remember if, uh, yeah. if I saw Harmony, you know, last week. But 
it's been a few months, so I don't remember anymore. But very exciting to see Harmony in. Gosh, I just love her. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say shout out to my friend and yours, Stephen Smith, as the <laughs> like skate skater looking stoner dude who like pops out from behind the corner to be like, yeah, really. Why? Do you want to talk about why you know that person? Because I don't know that. that you oh, know. yeah. Well, Stephen uh, has done a lot of things. Um, he was the host of Stephen's Untitled Rock Show. Uh, and more recently, he created a podcast that our friend Jonah co-hosts called Going Off Track, which is a really great podcast. And that is how we know Stephen. And that's where he got his start, right? I, th- I mean, I think that, that and I... I think California Dreams. Oh. That, that show about the band. Kind of. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think I watched it, but I do remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said to Jenny while we were watching this episode that I would pay good money mm-hmm. to be able to watch the, um, the episodes with the original commercials. I would just like love to know. We can have a whole separate podcast of talking about the commercials between episodes of Buffy, Ooh. right? Yeah, that would be so good. You could ever find it. Like that would be very hard. I to mean, find. there's definitely people in this world who VHS taped every episode of the show as it happened, and they you think they would send us? I don't think they're going to send us anything digital but, file. And if they, yeah, if they sent us the VHS tapes, what would we do with them? We would get a VCR immediately. I can't believe we don't have one. I had one forever. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but, oh, so I want to talk about something which we haven't really, like, met Harmony too much yet, but something, a note that I took right after Harmony with lots of whys because I got excited is um, Cordelia. I just, you know, Cordelia has my heart. If you need to know, it's Cordelia. Mm-hmm. I just, she really gets me. Um, She's so mean. She is. and but But it made me start thinking about the trope of like the mean girl, you know, like in Mean Girls, for example, the like head head bitch. I'm just going to call her that. I don't know if you Jenny, Jenny <laughs> dropped her belongings when I said bitch. <laughs> She's very funny. How dare you? But like that that idea of this like um, bossy mean girl which Cordelia is like that, like she's very much written as that trope, right? Like mm-hmm. that she loves to shop and she just loves to gossip and she loves to this and that. And so I was thinking about it as we were watching the episode because she's also incredibly strong and outspoken. And, you know, just thinking from like a feminist standpoint about Cordelia and just the trope overall of the mean girl, it's like, yeah, the mean girl like does things that are crappy and usually to other women which is like you know part of the big problem Mm -hmm. but at the same time they're like very um i don't know i feel like they really push back against the a lot of what a woman is supposed to be you know the typical woman air quotes air quotes is supposed to get like flustered around cute boys and like whatever and for the most part cordelia is just like you know, putting them out like cigarette butts underneath your feet. <laughs> like she is um, unapologetic. And and there's a lot like upsetting about some of the unapologetic stuff that she does. But I think that it's really hard to be a woman and be unapologetic. And um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, growing up, I always thought about the mean girl as the mean girl. Like that was it. It was just like very simple. Like you were a mean girl and you were bad or you were not a mean girl and you weren't bad. And thinking about Cordelia today and watching her move around, I was like, it's so much more complicated than that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's my feminist rant for today. That was very good. What do you think? <sighs> I'm on board with what you're talking about. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I'm excited to watch Cordelia uh, broaden a little bit because mm-hmm. um, I feel like you have the benefit of knowing kind of like where she goes to. Like, I feel like, you know, like she's pretty two dimensional at this point. Yeah, she is. But I think even if I didn't, I'm 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 really not like even going. I mean, obviously, I can't unknow what I know <laughs> about Cordelia, but like. I'm just going off the the very basic trope of the mean girl. And I'm, like, thinking a lot about mean girls, you know? Mm-hmm. That, like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of troubling stuff and a lot to pull apart. But it isn't just this, like, black and white thing of this girl is a horrible bitch. It's like, well, mm-hmm. but also let's think about the fact that she is, like, speaking very loudly and she's unapologetic and she's doing what she wants and, like, you know... So I I don't think it has as much to do with, like, the three-dimensionality of future Cordelia as it does with me just being like, huh, you know, this is not, like, 
the trope of the mean girl, there's a lot there. I'm sure that lots of people have done their dissertations on this. I'm certainly <laughs> not the first to talk about it, but Cordelia. If you wrote your dissertation. Yeah, please send on it the in. trope of the mean girl. We'll do an episode just reading your dissertation word for word. Probably take a lot longer than yeah, talking will. about the episode. Um, so yeah, I, that's that's my Cordelia rant for today, my feminist rant. That was really good. Thank you. I have a rant. Yes. What is your rant? Does anyone ever go to the library at Sunnydale High School? No. Has anyone ever walked into that library for any reason other than to talk to Giles about vampire slaying? No. Just tumbleweeds but and the Slayer gang. I mean, I don't remember my high school library being a very populated place. Was yours? Yeah. I mean, like, people were in it, but more than zero were in it. I'll more give you that. More than zero, so. But it, I feel like when I went to the library in high school, it was very rarely the school library. It was often the town library. Um, I don't remember being, like, I really don't remember doing much in my high school library. I don't remember what it looks like. Really? I don't even remember what, and I love, li- I'm not like, yeah. I love libraries, I love books, but. Um, yeah, I don't remember spending time inside of my high. I think I didn't spend, I I did theater. So anytime that I was somewhere that wasn't in a class that I had to be in, I was in the theater or uh, like the, the chorus, you know, rooms or something like that. But other than that, if I didn't have to be in school, I wasn't in school, you know, I don't know. It's just library wasn't the thing. You had an open campus. Like, if you didn't have a class, if you had study hall, you could leave? No, or? I just mean, like, I, well, I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess there were, like, free periods where you could go to the live. Were there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have good memories. Here's a question. Yeah. If Sunnydale High has a closed campus, why was the gate open? Not that it matters. Because I, Buffy can jump 12 feet straight up in the air. I don't think that um, closed campuses lock students in as a general. I, did, I didn't have an open campus. No, no. I mean, I'm. But, I, oh, you were just making just, a joke. Yeah. Sorry. Your That's audience okay. of one did, did a bad job of laughing. At your My joke. me of one did a bad job of indicating <laughs> that it was a joke. So. Also, was that the prince? Was that the principal? Yeah, that's Principal Flutie. I couldn't remember if that was him. He seemed so much more annoying in the second episode than he did in the first. I was annoyed by him in the first, but yeah, not, yeah. Uh, not quite. That was he really nailed that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt very uncomfortable. Yeah, I really don't um, care for Principal Flutie. I was really nervous about Buffy leaving her um, belong her Slayer belongings just out in the middle of the room for Joyce to find. Oh, her trunk! Her oh, trunk. her trunk full of communion wafers! Oh yeah, there's a huge <laughs> container of communion wafers, which, to the best of my vampiric knowledge, have absolutely no use Yo, to a vampire what do you Slayer. Think that's all about. I think a prop person was like, "Hmm, well, we're getting this holy water." <laughs> What else goes in here? Also, like seven heads of garlic, bulbs of garlic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way that those are staying good. Well, they are in a dark, cool place. Yeah, but like even in a dark, cool place, what's the shelf life or well, but trunk you, life of garlic? You bring up a good question, which is, does rotten garlic still deter Ooh, vampires? Amazing question. Does it have to be fresh? I feel like it's got to be fresh. You think? All right. Well, we'll have to find a vampire, a couple vampires, and test this out. Yes. Um. But yeah, she just, like, Joyce comes in. I missed a lot of the scene 
staring at her leather jacket. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that jacket. But Joyce comes in and she's like, don't do it again, Buffy. Behave. Stop ruining the town and burning (laughs) everything down. All the tapes say I have to get used to (laughs) saying no. For those of you who are, um, you know, millennials, a tape... They all know. Millennials oh, all right. know what tapes are. Oh, right, right. Are. Tapes are hip fashion. again. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, but yeah, she comes in. She's like, you can sulk up here or you can join me for dinner. And then she goes down and Buffy is just like 100% convinced that Joyce is never going to come back again. She takes all the stuff out of the trunk, leaves it in the middle of the room without even putting her decoy on back on top yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get that decoy back on top. Like, mom's going to find out that you're busy slaying vamps. She clearly wants to be caught. Yeah. It's like a cry for help. It is. It is. At some point, we should have a psychologist on this podcast to help psychoanalyze Buffy Summers. That would be good. Um, I feel like there was something else I was going to say. I have other things to say, but there was like a thing connected to that that I can't remember anymore. Um, but I do want to talk about when we get to the bronze um, and the vampires walk in. Because I wrote on my, I was, I thought I was so smart. I thought I was so smart. And I wrote down, shout out to the vampires for their lighting designer. I thought I was so funny. (laughs) Oh, because, because Luke and his gang enter the bronze. Somebody throws the light switch. So like most of the lights are off and then Luke ascends to the stage and bam, a spotlight shows up on his face. So I just thought it was like silly television and no, then didn't I have to eat my words when Buffy comes in and there is a vampire doing the just lighting. holding the spotlight. What a brilliant, it's just, it's really, it was really nice for me to live through that moment of being like, oh boy, I'm going to make a joke about the lighting. And Joss was like, <laughs> wow, yeah, you got gotcha. the full yeah. narrative arc there for yeah. yourself. Yeah, it was really um, nice. So that was Something that I was excited about. And then on a more serious note, um, I, I I wrote down people die in this episode, which is important. And what I mean by that note is that um, I just feel like I don't, you know, we saw the first episode and um, people die. I mean, the, the first episode opens with, um, you know, Darla, though, do we know her name still? I don't know. I've called her Darla now, so now you know her I name. I believe the master has called her Darla at this point. Okay, so we see, you know, the, the opening scene is Darla with, like, random boy. But mm-hmm. other than that, nobody else dies in the first episode, right? Mm, not that I can recall, although there were those local boys showing up in the newspaper that Giles had the right, okay. presence right, of mind to right. circle in Red Sharpie. But like, you know, as coming into this show, you're watching this show for the first time, like, you know, put yourself back to that place. You don't yet know if this is going to be um, the, the kind of show, which I think there are a lot of, where there's like danger, but it's always, the heroes always save everyone, you know? Right, 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 right. And, and this is not that. This is not that. And what was the network that this was on first? Mm-hmm. Was it the WB? WB first, I think. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sort of like speaking from my experience as a person who's watched some TV, so it's really not thorough. But I feel like the WB had a lot of shows that were kind of like that, right? Where like the hero saves everything. And in this episode, you, you know, Buffy gets to the, by the time Buffy gets to the bronze, two people have died already. 
at least two people. Isn't there like a montage where Luke is feeding on someone and then we it flashes to the master? It's the same he, girl, I thought, the no, whole time. No, I don't think so. No? I think it's like a bunch of different, which raises the question, where are the bodies? Why isn't there like a pile of bodies when Buffy gets I there? I don't think it was... I don't think it was many people. I don't think it was. Why? I It was because it looked just like, um, who's the girl who plays Chasing Amy? Joey Lauren Adams? Yeah. it looked. The girl looked like her, and I thought it was her the whole time. Really? I thought it was the guard, the guard, the bouncer, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and then I thought one girl. I didn't get the impression that tons of people had died. That's the impression that I got from, like, cutting back and forth to the master being, like, stronger, give me more! (laughs) Which, by the way, oh, God. Also, like, is it even proven that Slayer's blood will help him more than... They didn't seem to know that, that? factually. Yeah, because he says something like, Luke, I think, says something like, right when he goes to, like, bite Buffy's neck, he's like, one taste of this and the master will be free or something. Well, but the master has been saying, I'm almost free. I don't know if Luke, as the vessel, can hear the master's voice inside of his head. God, it's so sexual. It's just they are, like... It's Truly. so you're like he's he just keeps saying I'm so close. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like, but uh Slayer's blood does have something that regular blood doesn't have. Fine, maybe it does, but do you think that Luke actually know? Like I just feel like Luke's making shit up as he goes along. I don't know. You think he's a well-read vamp? Well, I think maybe the mas- the master's he been around for a, a long. He didn't even know it was a Like he wasn't even sure it was a Slayer. He didn't even know, and okay. now he knows. You know, I just I don't know. Also, you just reminded me of something that happens right when. I guess it's right when she walks into the bronze. She picks up a pool cue. Is that earlier? Is that a different? Does she kill many? All I know is there's a scene. After she leaps down from the catwalk she- where the guy's doing the lighting, she grabs the pool cue. Yes, she grabs the pool cue. She stabs a vampire, which we we never see that vampire, but the pool cue just floats around on the screen, and I was like, the, I thought they're supposed to turn to dust. Well, it takes a second for them to turn to it dust. Was too, it was a little too long. Maybe a little too long. Well, they didn't want to do the dust effects on that vampire because they were saving their budget but for- But Jenny, food. all they had to do was make the pool cue drop to the ground. I I know that, but I, <laughs> I didn't. just think they're learning. No, no, I know. I'm not- but- I want to hop back to what you were just talking about before because I think it's really important. Um, I mean, I know that it was intentional for, uh, because Eric Balfour is like in the credits, I think. Who's Eric Balfour? Uh, The guy who plays Jesse. Oh, you know his name? His actor name? Yeah. Good Lord. Um, Well, he was on Six Feet Under and stuff. Oh, okay. I also, for some reason, from watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I got it into my head that his name was the name of the guy who plays the master. Um, for a long time and then when I like realized my mistake it like burned into my brain that that was Eric Balfour anyway they make it seem very much like he's part of the core group yeah although they don't successfully like endear him to us the way that I'm sure they would have liked to before killing him off in episode two Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it feels intentional it feels like a world where your friends can die. Not just people die, right. but your friends can die. The people close to you can die and you might not be able to do anything about it. Right, right. Which I feel like is an important distinction. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. And like, I mean, 
just in general, the fact that people can die was a big enough thing to me. But yeah, characters with names can die, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially when they're vampires. <laughs> right. Those uh, kind of yeah, mess up your odds. It leans, it leans a little more heavily to the vampires we know than it does to the humans For now. we know. I mean, whatever. I don't want to get too into that. Right. I, want, I want the new watchers to... Um, to have a nice journey. Gosh, if you're a new watcher, how I envy you. What a journey you have to go on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what it's, a journey. Woo, just, just keep sticking it out throughout season one. Here. Yeah, you got to hang on with us through season one. It is, it's a little uh, up and down, but man, is it worth it. How about that like end of a 90s teen movie with the zippy guitar song happening in the background where all the kids are mm-hmm. chirping and Giles is so excited to be living on the mouth of hell. And then he's all like, the world is doomed. And we knew, 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 yep. and then credits. Wow. Yep. Yep. There it's it also a very horror movie as well. I think I talked yeah, about that yeah, a little yeah. bit in the first episode of the podcast. But that like bright and sunny ending to mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a thing that you know there's more danger lurking around the corner is just alurking. like lurking around the corner is is so um classic horror, I think. Um Oh, right. I skipped over <laughs> I skipped over uh, some notes that I had that are just three lines. One says, we learn it's the Hellmouth. The second one is earthquake. And the third is end of the world. <laughs> so Nailed it. Classic ch- uh, trifecta of uh-huh, Buffy uh-huh. notes. But um, yeah, we learn in this episode about the Hellmouth, about the fact that the town is on the hel- on a Hellmouth. Um, Although in episode one, Angel does tell her that they're on the mouth of hell. Right. But it's like but more, in a mysterious we learn in the library way. this time, you know? Right, right, And right, like right. Willow's doing all her research and they're like, blah, blah, earthquake. And like all these people died and, you know, mm-hmm, chaos. Mm-hmm. Go, you have something to say. I can tell by the look of fire in your eyes. <laughs> I was just like uh, glancing through my notes and realizing I didn't mention this. Earlier in the show, when when uh, Giles is talking about how vampires were created, that they're like um, sort of a muddling of blood between a pure demon yeah. and humans, and then they're they're the muggles. first vampire. <laughs> they're muggles. Muggles. Oh, I thought you were saying muggles like muggles. Oh yeah. I, oh boy. Woo. It's hard muggle. to keep up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first vampire made more vampires, and like you know, they just keep making more and more of their kind. And they're waiting for he- the animals to die out, humans, so mm-hmm. that the that the old ones, pure demons, can come back. Right. Question: When that uh, vision of paradise for vampires occurs, what do they then eat for the rest of time? A great question. And what happens if a vampire does the other animals get? Mm. Also, like in this argument, is the argument that like, not to take too hard a corner here, but. In that mythology, isn't it like the vampires were here first and all they want is to... No, the vampires weren't here first because they were made of human and demon blood oh, together. Oh, human and demon. Right, right, right. So that chicken and the egg scenario is like pretty... Great, great, good, because I didn't want to get into that conversation anyway. <laughs> Nobody does. Nobody does. Um, Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they would feed off of. Probably the... Maybe they would just keep some humans around to procreate. Sick. You know, it would be like, like in an aquarium. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a like fast food, you know, except for 
Oh boy, babies, people. Yeah. Instead of. I mean, the conditions are gonna go way down. There's gonna be uh, growth hormones being right. implemented. Oh man, it's gonna get super industrial. We should industrial. let them know. We should let them know. Yeah, that yeah. Free free range humans are much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, happy meat is tasty. Happy blood is tasty. Blood. Yeah. And I, I loved, I mean, my note out of end of the world was just like a general one, but I do, I do really love the moment between, and we really are skipping back and forth, but I really love the moment between Joyce and Buffy uh. where she's like, it's always the end of the world for every 16 year old. You, you don't know? even know Joyce. Right. But it's such a nice, like, cause right. Cause in this one instance, you, it is the end of the world. But also, like, tiny shout out to the fact that, like, chill out, mom. Maybe there are problems that I have that are a big deal that you might not know about. And stop belittling me just because you're old. Parents just don't understand. They just don't. They just don't. You know, Joyce doesn't get it. And even if Buffy wasn't a vampire slayer, maybe she would have something serious on her mind. And maybe it would matter to her. Yeah. And maybe Joyce should take that seriously. Maybe she should. That's all I'm saying. We should let her know. Joyce! Yes. Is there anything else we need to say about this episode? Are you out of notes? I'm out of notes. Um, shout out to Harmony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cordelia, love you forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Willow, nice move with that deliver Ooh, button. Yes, indeed. That was nice. That was nice. A little moment for Willow to be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good burns in this episode. Yeah, seriously. And and um, a lot of good uh, outfits. I noticed that Xander was wearing a shirt that I would typically expect to see on Willow. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? What did it look like? It was like a, a polyester button down oh. that had green mushrooms on it. I think they were mushrooms. <laughs> and he was wearing it mostly buttoned over a long sleeve white t-shirt. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God, yeah, the yeah. 1990s. I'm telling you, the limited two, they... They really got their mileage off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I think. Yeah, yeah, they sold. That show sold a lot of clothes for them. Absolutely. Delia's. Ah, uh, core Delia's. Cor- oh, my God. <laughs> she just looks so confused. Is that the connection? I mean, I was just making it work. But, like, joke. what if? But what if that's where it came from? Maybe. We should find out. We'll do some research. But yeah, that's all I've got for this episode. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to continue forward. This was our this was our like setting the setting the tone, right? Because this is the pilot really was the two episodes together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now we've set the tone. We've picked up some of our core crew um, on both sides of the line. Yeah, yeah. Ready to roll. And we're ready to we're ready to move. For sure. So next week's episode will be which? Uh, witch. Witch, witch. Witch, witch. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at BufferingCast, or you can email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Russo. Sidebar, I think I am a witch, so I'm really <laughs> excited about the next episode. Wow. I mean, I do. You know it. It's know, true. I'm serious. And you can find me on Twitter at Kristen Noline. It's hard. K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. It's my middle name. I can't help it. Or just at Everyone is Gay. And I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And you can find me under that name on most social platforms, Twitter and whatnot. Um, Until next week. How? Oh, that was beautiful. 
Hey, just a quick note on today's song. For all two-parter episodes connected by a to-be-continued, we'll be writing two-parter songs. So today's song is a continuation of last week's song, and as such, will sound harmonically familiar, but lyrically brand new. Woo! Here we go. Well, it seems to be quite nigh But first the master has to finish gouging out this minion's eye Turns out Willow sure can hack And Xander likes to tag along Josh takes off his glasses and then he puts them right back on Whoa, oh, 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 welcome to the Hellmouth It's harvest time, welcome to the Hellmouth I can jump really high, welcome to the Hellmouth girl in all the whatever Jesse's super dead, the vampires made him one of them And is it possible that angels never even had one friend? Anyway, Luke hit the bronze to feed, and things were looking bad Till I decapitated someone with a symbol, which was red Whoa, oh, 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 welcome to the Hellmouth It's harvest time, welcome to the Hellmouth Cordelia died, welcome to the Hellmouth Thank God she made it and so did everybody else. We have to try to find ways to find peace and art and love and connection in the midst of the chaos of life. So that's life writing. I am so excited to have comic and daily show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. Well, hello. That joke was birthed from my trip to the African-American Smithsonian in DC, which that was the first time I saw something where, all right, on this floor, it's nothing but good news. Mm. We've gone through slavery, we've gone through desegregation and emancipation proclamation and reconstruction. But on this floor, Beyonce, Michael Jordan, Issa Rae. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Come and join us on Life Writing for more stories like these and the tools writers need to make yourself the hero or heroine of the adventure of your life. Life Writing is available wherever you get your podcasts.